How many of you are on Facebook? All right. How many of you have a lot of friends on Facebook? Ah, that's an important question, right? <laughs> In fact, there is a New York Times magazine author who got a Facebook account for the first time, and he was amazed after only a week he had 700 friends. And he didn't have a lot of time for friends, so he thought it would be a good idea if he got all of his Facebook friends together. And so he invited them to a Facebook party event at a local pub, and uh, he was really excited about this. He decided uh, that uh, he was going to send this invitation out, and uh, 15 people said definitely uh, they were going to show up. And 60 people said they might show up, so he figured, oh, maybe about 20 people will be there. So he put on his best clothes, put some cologne on, and headed down to the local pub, and he waited, and a woman showed up, and she happened to be a friend of a friend. They didn't know each other, so they had some small talk, but she eventually left, and he stayed there until midnight, and nobody else showed up. <laughs> yeah, well, certainly in the social networking age, the definition of friendship has a whole different meaning, doesn't it? What is a true friend? Well, a true friend is somebody you talk to face-to-face, -face. <laughs> right? Somebody that you connect with, somebody that you share your joys and challenges of life and that you lean on and you depend upon. We're talking about that as we want to experience true friendship here at Springbrook, authentic community as we continue in our R12 series Talking about Romans 12, we want to be R12 Christians. Romans 12 gives us a beautiful picture of what the spiritual life is all about. And we've been studying uh, Chip Ingram's materials, uh, talking about those during our services as well as during our small groups. And the youth are talking about it. And uh, again, great uh, material that helps us understand what God wants for our lives as we study Romans 12. So let's do a little bit of a review here on our R12 adventure. And our 12 believer, first of all, makes Jesus Christ Lord. Romans 12:1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So you make the salvation decision. Claim Christ as your Savior. And at some point you realize Jesus Christ wants all of me. So I'm all in. I'm going to give my life to Him. I'm going to live for Him on a daily basis. And we encourage you to make that decision if you have not yet made it. The second thing about an R12 Christian is that he renews one's mind. Romans 12, 2. This is our March memory verse. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So the world is trying to squeeze us into its mold. We need to say stop. We need to allow God to squeeze us into His mold, transforming our mind, transforming our behavior, transforming our life. That's kind of like renewing daily that decision of lordship. Last week we talked about serving the body, Romans 12, 4, and 5, just as each one of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. 
So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We belong to each other, therefore we need to serve one another, especially with the unique spiritual gift that God has given us that we talked about last week, discovering and exploring that gift. And this morning, we're going to be talking about loving the body. Our 12 Christian loves the body. Now, it's interesting as you read through this passage, there are 12 different commands. It's kind of like a machine gun coming at you, okay? Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. <gasps> Those are a lot of things to do. What's interesting about Romans, though, as you look at the first 11 chapters, as we've mentioned before, they lay out the foundation of how God established a relationship with us through Jesus Christ. And then all of a sudden, Paul in chapter 12 comes out of the gates and says, okay, this is how you need to live out your life based upon what God has done for you and the relationship you have with Jesus Christ. So it's important not just to look at this as a list of things we have to do. These come out of a relationship with Christ. You've got to have a foundation of a relationship with Christ where you're walking with Him and where you're listening to Him and you're allowing Him to work through you, where you are having a relationship that is close. And out of that comes a desire to do all these things. That's really the secret. We want to cultivate our relationship with Christ so that we can live for Him, so we can experience authentic community because we look, as we look at all these different commands, it's all about relationships. It's all about connecting with other people in the body of Christ. So let's unpack this a little bit. Let's look at uh, several different ways we can establish authentic community. The first one is we need to take off our masks and be pure. Take off our masks and be pure. We look at Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. It says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Love must be sincere. That means without hypocrisy. Now, what's hypocrisy? Well, you have to go back to Greek theater, what they would do. It was all men. They didn't have women or children. So they would have sticks and they would have a mask. They would have a children's mask, a woman's mask, a men's mask, and they would hold it up to their face, and they would be dressed like a woman or a child or a man, and they would characterize their voice in such a way as a woman or child or a man. And they would maybe play several different parts at once. But what they were doing was called hypocrisy, in the best sense of the term. They were pretenders. That's what hypocrisy is. It means you are a pretender. So God is saying, don't be a pretender because it's going to impact your love and for other people. Love must be sincere without pretending. And if we're going to have genuine community... Here at Springbrook, we need to stop pretending. But we all pretend to one degree or another. We learn in our culture that if we're going to have other people like us, other people accept us, 
other people think well of us, that we've got to do image management, that we've got to present ourselves in a certain way, that we've got to talk about ourselves in a certain way, that we've got to uh, make ourselves appear more successful than we might be, to make ourselves more happier or to make ourselves appear more happier than we might be, to uh, make ourselves uh, more important than we might be. And also we've learned that we don't really want to talk about those things that are sins in our life. We don't want to talk about struggles in our life because then other people might think, well, you don't have your act together. So we all pretend to whatever degree. Now, when it says love is sincere that we need to be not pretending, it doesn't mean you need to tell everybody all the things going on in your life. But you do need to have an individual, a group of people, that you can just say, hey, this is me to whatever degree you feel uh, that you can expose who you really are. I mean, that really is true community. Telling people the real you, the real you. And again, depending upon the relationship, you tell certain things. Certainly you want to have a really close friend that you can share a lot of things. And then maybe with a small group, you can share some things. But the important thing is if you're really going to bond with people, you need to say, hey, I've got some areas in my life that are not going well. I'm hurting. I'm struggling with sin. I'm in pain right now. And if you can't get to that point, you're just going to continue to pretend. You're never going to bond with people because people don't want to bond with, other, with perfect people, okay? When you really tell people that you're struggling and, and that you're not perfect and you're struggling with sin, let's say, they feel much more open to you. And they want to help you, and, and they're going to be more open. So it just kind of feeds upon itself. As one person opens up, another person opens up. And this many times happens in small groups. But that's the only way that we can help each other if we know how we can help each other, what our needs are. It's risky because, yeah, people might reject us, but I think the greater risk is not telling other people who you are because when you just pretend all the time, you never get close to anybody, and eventually you just kind of drift away from the church. I talk to people that I meet out in the community, and they haven't been to church, and I say, hey, you know, where are you going to church these days? Oh, I'm not going anywhere. And sometimes I think those people just weren't willing to open up their lives and really bond with someone and experience true community, and therefore they're just out there on their own. And that is even worse than taking the risk of saying, I'm real. This is what's going on in my life. But it says love must be sincere. It also says hate what is evil, cling to what is good. It's a very strong word. Hate, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Abhor what is evil. Several weeks ago I asked you to pray for Charlie Sheen. We were talking about the program Two and a Half Men and the sinful themes that were part of it, the number one comedy in the United States in prime time. And... Well, you probably know what happened to Charlie Sheen. He lost his show, it seems. And I was watching an interview on 2020, and it was just, like, unbelievable, the things that he was saying. I mean, he was expressing so many sinful patterns in his life. It's just, like, outrageous. And I think that's the way he wants to act in an outrageous matter. But what was even more disturbing is that he established a Twitter account. And in one day, he set a world record. He had one million people following him on Twitter. 
in the period of a day. Now, why would one people want to follow Charlie Sheen? Because I think they're fans of Charlie Sheen. I think a lot of people think that Charlie Sheen has a great life. He's got two beautiful women that are living with him. They're not married. And he can do anything that he wants, and he can say that anything that he wants, and, and people are attracted to evil. That's why he has a million people as friends, because they're attracted to the evil that Charlie Sheen is involved in and that he's expressing. And unfortunately, I think Charlie Sheen's going to make a lot of money because people are attracted to evil. Well, friends, we need to hate what is evil, not hate the person, but hate the evil that destroys people's lives. We need to stay away from it. What we need to do is cling to what is good, and that's the verse that speaks of the marriage relationship, that we need to be glued to one another. We have to have a bond together. We have to have a bond with righteousness, a, a bond with purity. But many times, as I know in my own life, we tend to play with sin. We play with fire. We say, how much can I play with fire? How much can I manipulate it before it burns me? How much can I say about a person before it becomes gossip? How far can I go with my boyfriend or girlfriend before it becomes sexual sin? How far can I go on watching a movie or reading a book or listening to music before it gets into an area where God would not want me to be, hearing things that I should not hear? So we always are asking, how close can I get this in? When in reality, we should be saying, how far can I get away from sin? I don't want to be anywhere near it. I don't want to take any chances. I don't want to open myself up to temptation. So we need to hate what is evil and cling to what is good. That's authentic community. Well, as we move on here, we'll see we need to take off our masks, stop pretending, and be pure. And then we need to be devoted to one another above ourselves. Let's look at Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Be devoted, be committed to one another in brotherly love. Brotherly love is that familial type of love, a love that you have for your family. When my son calls me at 11 o'clock and I'm in bed and he says that he's locked his keys in the car, and I have to take about probably 50 minutes to go down there and help him out. That is brotherly love. <laughs> and you guys are showing brotherly love to your family all the time. Moms who wake up countless times in the middle of the night to take care of your baby. Moms and dads who are countlessly giving of themselves for their small children, just tiring uh, every day, and they just drop into bed because of all the ways they've served their young children or parents of teenagers who are constantly driving their kids everywhere and serving their uh, many needs. Or parents of adult children who are serving their children in any way that they can to make their lives better. Or those of you who are caregivers to people who are in need, you're, you're showing that familial love you love them because they're family, because they mean so much to you. And what it's saying here is that's the same type of love that we need to have for each other, those of us who are part of the body of Christ. 
We need to show that type of love to one another. So think about it. Think about the last week. Think about the last month. How many times did you show that type of love to another Christ follower? When did you sacrifice for another Christ follower? When did you go out of your way for them? When did you do something that was inconvenient for you by showing brotherly love? Does it come right to mind? Who you're serving in the body of Christ outside of your immediate family? Who you're giving to? That's the way this family works. Is we need to be devoted. We need to be committed and love. Our world characterizes love as some type of emotion that comes and goes. But love is a commitment. Love is a choice. You're going to say, I'm going to serve this person because God loves and serves me. That's the kind of commitment we need to have one another. And then it goes on, honor one another above yourselves. What does that mean? Honor one another above yourselves what it means to put other people first for example when you came this morning why did you come here now there's a continuum now one end of the continuum is i came to get on the other end of the continuum is i came to give and sometimes you know we're different places on the continuum but where where are you today what you come here for did you come to get a lot of people come to get. I came to get relationships. I wanted to see my best friends. I wanted to talk to the people that I had an interest in that would satisfy me in conversation. I came to get some hugs. I came to be loved upon. I came to come into the service and, and get some inspirational worship music. I came to get some information from God's Word. I came to get... Now, on the other end of the spectrum is I came to give. You came and you said, I'm here to serve this morning. I'm here to give to people. I'm going to get out in that atrium and other areas, and I'm just going to look for people who need someone to talk to. I'm going to go to the person who I know is going to talk for maybe 15 minutes to me, okay? Uh, but I'm going to listen to them, and I'm going to pray with them, and I'm going to minister to them. I'm going to look for, I'm going to pray, God, show me the people that you want me to reach out to this morning. I'm a, I'm a minister ready to serve. And when I come into the service, I come to give. When we're singing, I'm going to sing with all my heart so I can encourage those around me. Uh, when we get around God's Word, I'm going to pay attention and I'm going to listen and I'm going to see what God has for me. Now again, we're never perfectly at either end of the spectrum but the point is is if you're going to honor other people here at springbrook you need to come with an attitude as god empowers you to our services to small groups with an attitude I, i'm coming to give i'm coming to honor other people above themselves my main agenda is not hey what can i get for dan harrison through this event but what can i give to my other family members here at Springbrook. That's what it means to honor one another above yourselves. That's authentic community. Boy, we move on in authentic community. And the third thing is to serve God with passion and excellence. That's authentic community. We look at Romans chapter 12, verse 11. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Never be lacking in 
in zeal. Now, when I first look at that word, and I look at the word spiritual fervor, I think, of, you know, like when we were going crazy over the bears, or at least most of us were, uh, <laughs> going crazy over the bears a couple months ago when we thought that they were going to the Super Bowl. But that really isn't zeal. Zeal is a fervent commitment. In fact, the original word for spiritual fervor is boiling water. It's just an, a strong commitment that you have to get something done. It's like raising your children, as I talked about earlier. You are committed to your kids. And even when they're frustrating you, even when they're angering you, you're still committed to them and you're willing to work through that and you're willing to continue to serve them. A man came up to me in the middle uh, between our services, that is, and was concerned about his son and had to make a difficult decision about a certain issue. And he just said, I, I want to do just what, what's best for my son. And it was a painful decision he had to make. But we're committed to our kids. We have a zeal for our children. Well, that's the same type of zeal we need to have for serving God, to help other people grow in their spiritual life. Never be lacking in zeal. Have that strong zeal working. But keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Now, some of you who are here today don't have a strong commitment to ministry. It really doesn't interest you. Coming to church is fine, something you do, but you don't really have a commitment to make a difference for God. Well, I want to challenge you <laughs> and exhort you to ask God to fill you with that type of zeal and commitment. Because really, what is more exciting in this life than seeing a person come into a relationship with Christ and grow in that relationship? What can top that? Can any sports team, can any activity, can any hobby, can any vacation top that type of thrill of seeing people's lives transformed by the power of God? I don't think so. And that's why I have tremendous spiritual zeal because I know that I'm involved in the most important thing that can be done here on this earth. In fact, if you're lacking spiritual zeal, the first thing you need to do, as I said, is pray for it. God, I just, it's not fair. Fill me with spiritual zeal, and He will. In fact, one of the things you can ex get excited about is our spring outreach that's coming up. We're having a series entitled Help for Life's Challenges. We're going to be studying the life of Joseph. And this particular series is the kind of series you really want to invite your friends out to. It's going to be believer-focused, but it's going to be sensitive to those who don't have a relationship with Christ. Joseph had a lot of challenges in his life. And we want to encourage you to invite your friends out. This is a postcard that we'll be sending out to our community. And a lot of people feel stuck, don't they? They feel stuck in a lot of areas of their lives. And we're going to send this out and talk about our Joseph series. And we're going to send 40,000 of those postcards out to encourage people to be part of our ministry. And then we're going to have 5,000 postcards that we're going to want to encourage you to get out. How's that going to happen? Well, we're going to have an advertising blitz next Sunday afternoon. We're going to have some pizza, then we're going to go out, and we're going to hit the 47 and Randall Road corridors, and we're going to go to businesses, and 
just put this postcard wherever we can get it. And we're also going to challenge you to take a, uh, a bunch of postcards, a pack of ten, and get those out to wherever you can. Put them on doors in your neighborhood. Put them at other places that you go. So wherever people go, they see this turtle. <laughs> right? And hopefully the whole, I know that the Holy Spirit will work in people's lives to bring them here, whoever he desires. I also want you to be thinking about who you're going to invite out. In fact, take out the communication slip. Uh, you tore off from your program the communication slip. And what I'd like you to do is on the back side of it, do this for me. Uh, write down the name of the person that you'd like to invite out. This is just two weeks away, our spring outreach, and it's going to go for five weeks leading up to Easter. So you're going to have a lot of opportunities to invite people out. But I just want you to put down one name. So put Jim down and then put your relationship with that person, whether he's a co-worker or a friend or a neighbor or a family member. So everybody get uh, your communication slip out and grab a pen somewhere and write down the name of a person that you would like to invite out. And then we will pray for you. As you seek to reach that person, be sure to fill out the information as always on the other side. If you've been here forever, just write down <laughs> the names of the adults that uh, attending are attending today. Uh, but write down the person's name and their relationship to you. So just their first name, not their last name. But we want to encourage you in that way. And be part of our advertising blitz. We'll give you a, an opportunity to sign up for that uh, in a little bit. But this is something that we can really become excited about and be committed to as a church to reach people for Jesus Christ. Now let's look at this next verse. This is for those of you who have been involved in ministry for a long time and you're tired. <laughs> Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Now those of us who have been involved in ministry for a long time, we get weary. Oh, you know, it's like we don't have the energy to go to another Awana night. <laughs> we don't have the energy to go to another meeting. We're too tired. We just want to sit in front of the TV. I'm tired of ministry. We've all been there, haven't we? Those of us who uh, have been involved in ministry. Well, again, we need to look toward the future. For at the proper time, we'll reap a harvest. Right now, it's just work. We need to realize that God is going to use what we do in order to change people's lives. So if you're tired in ministry, the first thing I encourage you to do is to go back to your relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're not cultivating that relationship anymore and ministry is just doing stuff. Well, you've got to make your relationship with Jesus the core thing and that drives everything else. I also encourage you to remind yourself of the work that you're doing. Talk to somebody. You know, if you're struggling and your commitment to a ministry, talk to somebody that you respect and who can give you some counsel and encourage you. Maybe it's time to change ministries. I don't know. But pray that the Holy Spirit would fill you with His inspiration and His power if you're feeling maybe a little burned out in ministry. Let's go to the next piece here. Authentic community involves carrying one another's burdens in the midst of difficulty. We look at Romans chapter 12, verses 12 to 13. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with God's people who are in need, and practice hospitality. That's all about carrying each other's burdens. Be joyful in hope. 
It's not the world's type of hope as, oh, I hope I get an A on this test, or I hope I get that new car, or I hope I get that job. This is a confidence that we have that is guaranteed by the promises of God that are found in the Scriptures. We have a hope. We have an eternal hope. We have a hope in a God who promises to deliver on a daily basis. Be joyful in the hope that we have. Spread that hope to other people. Patient in affliction. And again, this whole passage is about our relationships with other people. So it's not patient in our own affliction. It's patient in affliction. Other people's afflictions. My dad is 86 years old. He lives in Rockford. His name is Fred. And I love my dad so much. He's in the early stages of Alzheimer's. He's been there for several years. And we've been working with him, and I'm the primary caregiver, calling him on a daily basis. And he's been going downhill, and the doctor just took his license away. And he found out about this last Wednesday. So my son Wesley and I went out there and spent some time with him. And he was very, very upset, no doubt. And I understand why he would be upset. So we worked through that issue with him, talked with him about it, and uh, and we went out again on Monday and spent the whole of the day with him, you know, trying to arrange different forms of transportation. And it's been quite a roller coaster <laughs> with my dad. You know, some days I'll call him and he's just angry. And when you're going through that type of thing, and many of you have experienced this, uh, you're confused and you're angry, and so somebody's got to be the brunt of the anger. So usually it's a caregiver, right? So my dad just gets so mad at me, and he hangs up the phone. He'll, he'll call me like three times in a row and yell at me and hang up the phone. And like my son Wesley said, Dad, why do you take that? What, you know? And I say, well, I understand. He's not angry at me. He's angry at his Alzheimer's, all right? And uh, it's stressful. I mean, you guys know it. It, it, it takes a lot of energy. But I love my dad uh, so much. Uh, and what I'm doing is I'm carrying his burden, right? I'm carrying my dad's burden. He's so dependent upon me. And I'm carrying that burden on a daily basis. And we need other people to carry our burdens. And there are people here who have helped me carry this burden. They give me a lot of counsel and advice and encouragement and I encourage you to, to pray for my dad Fred more importantly pray for me um, no. <laughs> you know it's tough so many of you are in this situation caring for your your parents and uh, but you know that's the beauty of the body of Christ is we carry each other's burdens we're patient in affliction how you carry a person's burden well you're faithful in prayer faithful in prayer there's nothing more powerful than you can do for a person than to pray for them. And a very simple way to carry a person's burden is you find out about it, all right, and you write it down in your prayer list. I encourage everybody to have a prayer list because there's no way you can remember all the things you need to pray for, right? So write down that person's name on the prayer list, pray for them, and then, depending upon your relation, every week, every two weeks, every month, you go back to that person saying, listen, I'm praying for, let's say, Fred. How's it going? And then you ask them again the next month and ask them again the next month. And that is a tremendous ministry. I just know from years and years of ministry. And sometimes we think, oh, well, if I'm going to carry 
a person's burden, I have to do all these things. Not really. I mean, yeah, sometimes it involves that. But, but again, prayer just does a tremendous thing to a person when, you know, when they know that you're praying uh, for them. I'm so thankful for our prayer team. They're, they're so wonderful. Please come down and share your burdens with them. Uh, it goes on, share with God's people who are in need. Oh, it's so depressing, isn't it? Watching the news and gas prices. Oh, do we need anything else? Okay. The economy just starts to get a little bit of, you know, life back, and all of a sudden gas prices, things go wild in the Middle East. People are in need. When was the last time you wrote out a check for somebody in need? Gave it to them anonymously or gave it to them and said, I just love you and I want to help you out. When's the last time you did that? If you haven't done it, you need to do it. You need to give. Share with God's people who are in need. And there's a lot of people in need. Practice hospitality. That's the whole idea of welcoming someone or uh, making someone uh, feel at home. Making someone feel at home. Now, primarily, it's at your own house, right? When's the last time you had somebody over to your house? Many times we were self-conscious about our houses and other insecurities, those kind of things. But again, we need to get past that because that's a beautiful thing when you break bread with someone. But also here at Springbrook, you know, we need people to feel at home here. In fact, if you're interested in being part of our connections team uh, that we're forming that just kind of looks for people who are new at Springbrook, typically people who are alone, <laughs> you know, not talking with anyone, we're going to give you an opportunity to do that in a second. But practice hospitality. But friends, authentic community comes when we, when we carry each other's burdens. We read this in Galatians 6.2. Carry each other's burdens, and this way you fulfill the law of Christ. And the question I have for you and myself today is, whose burdens are we carrying? Whose burdens are we carrying? I have a good friend not attending our church who has cancer, and we just got together with them last Sunday night. And uh, we're helping carry their burden. Who are, you, who are you walking along with that's going through a tough time? And you're carrying their burden. In fact, in a moment, we're going to give you an opportunity to share with us uh, publicly here uh, how somebody has carried your burden. But before we do that, uh, let's move on to our next steps if you could take out your communication slip again, and under the name portion there, there's A, B, C, D. And if uh, any of these resonate with you, we'd like you just to circle that. This is just kind of a way of saying, hey, this is what I want to do. We'll only follow up on certain ones, and I'll tell you which ones, but it's just kind of a way of making a declaration. For example, I've made the Lordship decision recently. Some, sometime during this series, I made the Lordship decision. We'd like to know about that. I'll carry someone's burden this week. I'll pray that God would send someone to me who I can carry their burden. See, I'm interested in the connections team. We'll follow up on that one. I would like to be involved in the advertising blitz. That's next Sunday after the 11 o'clock service. We're going to have lunch and head out and hit the streets. So if you're interested in that, please circle D, and we'll follow up with you. But right now, I'd like to hear from you. Any of you... Uh, who would like to express your thanksgiving to God for someone or a group of people who has carried a burden uh, for you. 
So just raise your hand, and we'll bring a mic to you. Oh, right back there, we got Rob McCowan. Rob? Good morning, everyone. Um, my name is Rob McCowan, and I'm sitting here with my wife, Deanne. Uh, today is a big step for me because this last week I've been hospitalized. I was having um, a real, real hard time adjusting to a new uh, depression and anxiety medication, and it was uh, clearly obvious that I wasn't myself. Um, I was shaking and crying uncontrollably um, last Saturday and Sunday, and that's why I wasn't here last Sunday. Um, I'd like to publicly acknowledge the fact that my wife shared my burden this last week and not only making sure that I called the doctor myself and uh, sought the help that I needed, um, but also drive me to and from the hospital and praying for me and sharing with her women's small group um, my needs throughout the week. Um, if I get up and walk around, it's not because uh, I don't like the service. I don't like what's being said by any means. I'm just having a really hard time uh, focusing and concentrating and sitting in one spot due to some new medication that I'm on. But this morning was very important to me that I be discharged from the hospital so that I could be with you as a body and worship God together. And um, I'd just like to say thank you to my wife. I love her very, very much. Oh, thank you, Rob. It's great to have you with us this morning, brother. Others. All right. Juliet. Hi. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, I want to give glory uh, to God all the time because when we give glory to God, we always get the joy. I want to thank my husband uh, because uh, in 2005, I rededicated myself to Jesus Christ and I said, uh, God, make me your servant. And from the time on, uh, all I wanted to do is to please Jesus Christ. And um, I asked him to make me, make me his servant. I went home to the Philippines 2006 as a new person. I started my ministry collecting old clothes, old shoes. And then I got so sick that I couldn't go to work for about four months. I'm, uh, I have started having uh, unexplained headaches. I don't know what's going to die. I wrote letters to my family. I found out that I have a viral infections from the mosquito bites. They started having blood clots in my left eye. So he started driving me all over the place. But in that time, that's when I was able to read the whole Bible. The for three months and a half that I couldn't go to work because of the severe headache. I went to 10 different doctors. They couldn't find what's wrong with me. I studied the, the Bible, and that's when I studied the Revelation. And I can tell you that's when the time that I fell in love with Jesus Christ all over again. And from that moment on, I have established a nonprofit organization. I am... Uh, Illinois state approved, waiting for the federal approved. I call my organization uh, One Perfect Day because we have about 100 children in the Philippines that we are helping. We just bought them a little property back home. And I continue right now to uh, still collect old clothes and old shoes. We're sending a few kids in the Philippines to go to high school. 
And uh, I promised those kids that they will have their own church. The, the, the next goal for us is to build a church at the end of this year. Uh, somebody donated uh, like 400 square meters, which is 40 square feet of property in the Philippines. Um, so that is with the support of my husband, I'm sending boxes and boxes and boxes each month to the Philippines, and that is because the support of my husband, I won't be able to do that. So right now I have a change of my vision on my left eye. So uh, I don't know if I'm gonna lose my eyesight on my left eye, but it just makes me feel that every time that I have a problem with my left eye, I, that's when the time I really fell in love with Jesus Christ again. It made me remember how, how good God is because sometimes we forget how good God is, but without my husband, I won't be able to do everything I'm doing right now. Thank you. I like it, Juliet. All right, down front here. Nelson and I wasn't going to share anything. I go to another church and in the last three years I've had eight major surgeries and the community here has come over to my house on two occasions and reached out to me and laid hands on me and prayed and it made a huge difference. Um, I was diagnosed with systemic lupus and it was just eating away at me and I've come here today because I was running late and I was really, really frustrated and yelling at my kids and just hearing about this has touched me and I want to personally say thank you to the members here that even though I'm not a member, you guys have come to me and in my home and you guys have laid hands on me and prayed for my children. I'm a single mother of four kids and I want to personally thank Dr. Jeff who has just dedicated himself to adjusting me and my kids and it's made a big huge difference. Um, people who don't even know me have taken the time out to pray for me, have taken the time out to reach to me, reach out to me, to have a pastor who doesn't even know me very well. But every time I come here and in my brokenness, I feel loved. So I just want to say thank you and encourage all of you guys to continue to come encourage all of you guys to be present encourage all of you guys to get into the word encourage all of you guys to continue to reach out to people such as myself thank you oh, thank you so much thank you well thank you for sharing those stories and I would encourage you in your small groups to continue this to talk about how people have carried uh, your burden so if we get our ushers come forward at this time going to be gathering our offering together. We have a helping hand fund here at Springbrook, and we always highlight it on the first Sunday, the first weekend that is, of the month. And over the past month, we've given over $3,200 to different individuals. Uh, One family who's been out of work for a long time, another family, there's a physical injury, another family that needed counseling, and another family that had another need. And uh, if you have a need, Please come and talk with me about it uh, because we want to be a blessing uh, to you. And I want to thank those of you who give uh, to this fund to bless other people's lives. Let's pray together. 
Heavenly Father, thank you that uh, we can carry each other's burdens, whether it be prayer, whether it be taking a meal, whether it mean, means taking care of somebody, somebody's kids. Uh, Lord, we just want to continue to support one another as you've commanded us to do. And it's the beauty of authentic community. In Christ's name, amen.